0: Section 10 of Specimen Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Belinda Brown of Indianapolis, Indiana. Specimen Days by Walt Whitman. Section 10 A Quintet while i have been kept by the rain under the shelter of my great oak perfectly dry and comfortable to the rattle of the drops all around i have penciled off the mood of the hour in a little quintet which i will give you at vacancy with nature acceptive and at ease distilling the present hour whatever wherever it is and over the past oblivion can you get hold of it reader dear and how do you like it anyhow THE FIRST FROST, MEMS. While I was stopping, I saw the first palpable frost on my sunrise walk, October 6. All over the yet green spread a light blue-gray veil, giving a new show to the entire landscape. I had but little time to notice it, for the sun rose cloudless and mellow warm, and, as I returned along the lane, it had turned to glittering patches of wet. As I walk, I notice the bursting pods of wild cotton, Indian hemp, they call it here, with flossy, silky contents and dark red-brown seeds. A startled rabbit. I pull a handful of the balsamic life everlasting and stuff it down in my trousers pocket for scent. Three Young Men's Deaths December 20 Somehow I got to thinking today of Young Men's Deaths. Not at all sadly or sentimentally, but gravely, realistically, perhaps a little artistically. Let me give the following three cases from budgets of personal memoranda, which I have been turning over, alone in my room, and resuming and dwelling on, this rainy afternoon. Who is there to whom the theme does not come home? Then I don't know how it may be to others. But to me, not only, is there nothing gloomy or depressing in such cases, on the contrary, as reminiscence, I find them soothing, bracing, tonic. Erastus Haskell I just transcribe verbatim from a letter written by myself in one of the Army hospitals sixteen years ago during the Secession War. Washington, July twenty-eighth, 1863 dear m i am writing this in the hospital sitting by the side of a soldier i do not expect to last many hours his fate has been a hard one he seems to be only about nineteen or twenty erastus haskell company k a hundred and forty first new york has been out about a year and sick or half sick more than half that time has been down on the peninsula was detailed to go in the band as a fifer boy. While sick, the surgeon told him to keep up with the rest, probably worked and marched too long. He is shy and seems to me a very sensible boy, has fine manners, never complains, was sick down on the peninsula in an old storehouse, typhoid fever. The first week this July was brought up here, journey very bad, no accommodations, no nourishments, nothing but hard jolting, and exposure enough to make a well man sick. These fearful journeys do the job for many. Arrived here on July 11th, a silent, dark-skinned, Spanish-looking youth, with large, very dark blue eyes, peculiar-looking. Dr. F. here made life of his sickness, and said he would recover soon, etc., But I thought very different, and told F. so repeatedly. I came near quarrelling with him about it from the first. But he laughed, and would not listen to me. About four days ago, I told doctor he would, in my opinion, lose the boy without doubt. But F. again laughed at me. The next day, he changed his opinion, brought the head surgeon of the post. He said the boy would probably die, but they would make a hard fight for him. The last two days he has been lying, panting for breath, a pitiful sight. I have been with him some every day or night since he arrived. He suffers a great deal with the heat, says little or nothing, is flighty the last three days, at times knows me always, however calls me Walter, sometimes calls the name over and over and over again, musingly, abstractedly, to himself. His father lives in Breesport— CHEMUNG COUNTY, NEW YORK, IS A MECHANIC WITH A LARGE FAMILY, IS A STEADY, RELIGIOUS MAN. HIS MOTHER, TOO, IS LIVING. I HAVE WRITTEN TO THEM, AND SHALL WRITE AGAIN TODAY. ERASTUS HAS NOT RECEIVED A WORD FROM HOME FOR MONTHS. AS I SIT HERE, WRITING TO YOU, M, I WISH YOU COULD SEE THE WHOLE SCENE. THIS YOUNG MAN LIES WITHIN REACH OF ME, FLAT ON HIS BACK, HIS HANDS CLASPED ACROSS HIS BREAST, HIS THICK BLACK HAIR CUT CLOSE. He is dozing, breathing hard, every breath a spasm. It looks so cruel. He is a noble youngster. I consider him past all hope. Often there is no one with him for a long while. I am here as much as possible. William Alcott, Fireman, Camden, November 1874. Last Monday afternoon his widow, mother, relatives, mates of the fire department, and his other friends. I was one, only lately it is true, but our love grew fast and close. The days and nights of those eight weeks by the chair of rapid decline and the bed of death gathered to the funeral of this young man, who had grown up and was well known here. With nothing special, perhaps, to record, I would give a word or two to his memory. He seemed to me not an inappropriate specimen in character and elements of that bulk of the average good American race that ebbs and flows perennially, beneath the scum of irritations on the surface, always very quiet in manner, neat in person and dress, good-tempered, punctual and industrious at his work, till he could work no longer, he just lived his steady, square, unobtrusive life in its own humble sphere, doubtless unconscious of itself, though I think there were currents of emotion and intellect undeveloped beneath far deeper than his acquaintances ever suspected or than he himself ever did he was no talker his troubles when he had any he kept to himself and there was nothing querulous about him in life he made no complaints during his last sickness he was one of those persons that while his associates never thought of attributing any particular talent or grace to him yet all insensibly really liked billy alcott i too loved him At last, after being with him quite a good deal, after hours and days of panting for breath, much of the time unconscious, for though the consumption that had been lurking in his system once thoroughly started, made rapid progress, there was still great vitality in him, and indeed for four or five days he lay dying before the close. Late on Wednesday night, November 4th, where we surrounded his bed in silence, there came a lull, a longer drawn breath, a pause, a faint sigh, another, a weaker breath, another sigh, a pause again, and just a tremble, and the face of the poor wasted young man, he was just twenty-six, fell gently over, in death, on my hand, on the pillow. CHARLES CASWELL I extract the following verbatim from a letter to me dated September 29, from my friend John Burroughs, at Esopus-on-Hudson, New York State. S. was away when your picture came, attending his sick brother Charles, who has since died, an event that saddened me much. Charlie was younger than S., and a most attractive young fellow. He worked at my father's, and had done so for two years. He was about the best specimen of a young country farmhand I ever knew." you would have loved him he was like one of your poems with his great strength his blond hair his cheerfulness and contentment his universal good will and his silent manly ways he was a youth hard to match he was murdered by an old doctor he had typhoid fever and the old fool bled him twice he lived to wear out the fever but had not the strength to rally he was out of his head nearly all the time in the morning as he died in the afternoon s was standing over him when Charlie put his arm around s's neck and pulled his face down and kissed him s said he knew then the end was near s stuck to him day and night to the last when i was home in august Charlie was cradling on the hill and it was a picture to see him walk through the grain all work seemed play to him He had no vices any more than nature has, and is beloved by all who knew him. I have written thus to you about him, for such young men belong to you. He was of your kind. I wish you could have known him. He had the sweetness of a child, and the strength and courage and readiness of a young viking. His mother and father are poor. They have a rough, hard farm. His mother works in the field with her husband when the work presses. She has had twelve children." february days february seventh eighteen seventy eight glistening sun to-day with slight haze warm enough and yet tart as i sit here in the open air down in my country retreat under an old cedar for two hours i have been idly wandering around the woods and pond lugging my chair picking out choice spots to sit awhile then up and slowly on again all is peace here of course, none of the summer noises or vitality to-day, hardly even the winter ones. I amuse myself by exercising my voice in recitations, and in ringing the changes on all the vocal and alphabetical sounds, not even an echo, only the cawing of a solitary crow, flying at some distance. The pond is one bright, flat spread, without a ripple, a vast, clawed Lorraine glass, in which I study the sky, the light, the leafless trees, and an occasional crow with flapping wings flying overhead, the brown fields have a few white patches of snow left. FEBRUARY 9 After an hour's ramble, now retreating, resting, sitting close by the pond, in a warm nook, writing this, sheltered from the breeze, just before noon, the emotional aspects and influence of nature, I, too, like the rest, feel these modern tendency, from all the prevailing intellections, literature, and poems, to turn everything to pathos, ennui, morbidity, dissatisfaction, death. Yet how clear it is to me that those are not the born results, influences of nature at all, but of one's own distorted sick or silly soul, here amid the wild free scene, how healthy, how joyous, how clean and vigorous and sweet, mid-afternoon one of my nooks is south of the barn and here i am sitting now on a log still basking in the sun shielded from the wind near me are the cattle feeding on corn stalks occasionally a cow or the young bull how handsome and bold he is scratches and munches the far end of the log on which i sit the fresh milky odor is quite perceptible also the perfume of hay from the barn the perpetual rustle of dry cornstalks, the low sow of the wind, round the barn, gables, and the grunting of pigs, the distant whistle of a locomotive, and occasional crowing of chanticleers, are the sounds. February nineteenth, Cold and sharp last night, clear and not too much wind, the full moon shining, and a fine spread of constellations, and little and big stars, Sirius very bright rising early, proceeding by many orb orbed Orion, glittering vast, sordid, and chasing with his dog, the earth hard-frozen, and a stiff glare of ice over the pond. Attracted by the calm splendour of the night, I attempted a short walk, but was driven back by the cold, too severe for me, also at nine o'clock, when I came out this morning. So I turned back again, but now, near noon, I have walked down the lane, basking all the way in the sun. This farm has a pleasant southerly exposure, and here I am, seated under the lee of a bank, close by the water. There are blue birds already flying about, and I hear much chirping and twittering, and two or three real songs, sustained quite a while, in the midday brilliance and warmth. There! That is the true carol, coming out boldly and repeatedly, as if the singer meant it. Then, as the noon strengthens the reedy trill of the robin, to my ears the most cheerful of bird-notes. At intervals, like bars and breaks, out of the low murmur that in any sense, however quiet, is never entirely absent to a delicate ear, the occasional crunch and cracking of the ice glare congealed over the creek, as it gives way to the sunbeams, sometimes with low sigh, sometimes with indignant, obstinate, tug and snort. Robert Burns says in one of his letters, There is scarcely any earthly object gives me more. I do not know if I should call it pleasure, but something which exalts me, something which enraptures me, than to walk in the sheltered side of a wood in a cloudy winter day, and hear the stormy wind howling among the trees, and raving over the plain. It is my best season of devotion. Some of his most characteristic poems were composed in such scenes and seasons. A Meadowlark March 16 Fine, clear, dazzling morning, The sun an hour high, The air just tart enough. What a stamp in advance my whole day receives From the song of that meadowlark Perched on a fence stake Twenty rods distance. Two or three liquid simple notes, repeated at intervals, full of careless happiness and hope. With its peculiar, shimmering, slow progress, and rapid, noiseless action of the wings, it flies on away, lights on another stake, and so on to another, shimmering and singing many minutes. Sundown Lights May sixth, 5 p.m. This is the hour for strange effects in light and shade enough to make a colorist go delirious, long spokes of molten silver sent horizontally through the trees, now in their brightest, tenderest green, each leaf and branch of endless foliage a lit-up miracle, then lying all prone on the youthful ripe, interminable grass, and giving the blades not only aggregate but individual splendor, in ways unknown to any other hour. I have particular spots where I get these effect in their perfection. One broad splash lies on the water, with many a rippling twinkle, offset by the rapidly deepening black-green murky transparent shadows behind, and at intervals, all along the bank. These, with great shafts of horizontal fire thrown among the trees and along the grass as the sun lowers, give effects more and more peculiar, more and more superb, unearthly, rich, and dazzling. THOUGHTS UNDER AN OAK, A DREAM JUNE 2 This is the fourth day of a dark northeast storm, wind and rain. Day before yesterday was my birthday. I have now entered on my sixtieth year. Every day of the storm, protected by overshoes and a waterproof blanket, I regularly come down to the pond and ensconce myself under the lee of the great oak. I am here now writing these lines the dark smoke-colored clouds roll in furious silence, athwart the sky, the soft green leaves dangle all around me, the wind steadily keeps up its hoarse, soothing music over my head, nature's mighty whisper, seated here in solitude, I have been musing over my life, connecting events, dates, as links of a chain, neither sadly or cheerily, but somehow, today, here, under the oak, in the rain, in an unusually matter-of-fact spirit, but my great oak, sturdy, vital, green, five feet thick at the butt, I sit a great deal near or under him. Then the tulip-tree nearby, the Apollo of the woods, tall and graceful, yet robust and sinewy, inimitable in hang of foliage and throwing out of limb, as if the beauteous vital leafy creature could walk if it only would. I had a sort of dream trance the other day in which I saw my favorite tree step out and promenade up, down, and around very curiously with a whisper from one leaning down as he passed me. We do all this on the present occasion exceptionally just for you. Clover and Hay Perfume July 3rd, 4th, 5th clear hot favorable weather has been a good summer the growth of clover and grass now generally mowed the familiar delicious perfume fills the barns and lanes as you go along you see the fields of grayish white slightly tinged with yellow the loosely stacked grain the slow moving wagons passing and farmers in the fields with stout boys pitching and loading the sheaves the corn is about to tassel all over the middle and southern states the spear-shaped batalia multitudinous curving flaunting long glossy dark green plumes for the great horsemen earth i hear the cheery notes of my old acquaintance tommy quail but too late for the whippoorwill though i heard one solitary lingerer night before last i watched the broad majestic flight of a turkey buzzard sometimes high up sometimes low enough to see the lines of his form, even his spread quills, in relief against the sky. Once or twice lately I have seen an eagle here, at early candlelight, flying low. AN UNKNOWN JUNE 15 To-day I noticed a new large bird, size of a nearly-grown hen, a haughty, white-bodied, dark-winged hawk. I suppose a hawk from his bill and general look only he had a clear loud quite musical sort of bell-like call which he repeated again and again at intervals from a lofty dead tree-top overhanging the water sat there a long time and i on the opposite bank watching him when he darted down skimming pretty close to the stream rose slowly a magnificent sight and sailed with steady wide-spread wings no flapping at all up and down the pond two or three times near me in circles in clear sight for if for my delectation once he came quite close over my head i saw plainly his hooked bill and hard restless eyes bird whistling how much music wild simple savage doubtless but so tart sweet there is in mere whistling it is four-fifths of the utterance of birds there are all sorts and styles for the last half hour now while i have been sitting here some feathered fellow away off in the bushes has been repeating over and over again what i may call a kind of throbbing whistle and now a bird about the robin size has just appeared all mulberry red flitting among the bushes head wings body deep red not very bright no song as i have heard four o'clock there is a real concert going on around me a dozen different birds pitching in with will there have been occasional rains and the growth all shows its vivifying influences as i finish this seated on a log close by the pond edge much chirping and trilling in the distance and a feathered recluse in the woods near by is singing deliciously not many notes but full of music of almost human sympathy Continuing for a long, long while. A horseman August twenty second. Not a human being, and hardly the evidence of one in sight. After my brief, semi daily bath, I sit here for a bit, the brook musically brawling to the chromatic tones of fretful catbirds somewhere off in the bushes. On my walk, hitherto hours since, through the fields in the old lane. I stopped to view, now the sky, now the mile-off woods on the hill, and now the apple orchards. What a contrast from New York or Philadelphia streets. Everywhere great patches of dingy-blossomed horse mint wafting a spicy odor through the air, especially evenings. Everywhere the flowering bonnet and the rose-bloom of the wild bean. Three of Us July 14th my two kingfishers still haunt the pond in the bright sun and breeze and perfect temperature of to-day noon i am sitting here by one of the gurgling brooks dipping a french water-pen in the limpid crystal and using it to write these lines again watching the feathered twain as they fly and sport athwart the water so close almost touching into its surface indeed there seem to be three of us for nearly an hour i indolently look and join them while they dart and turn and take their airy gambols, sometimes far up the creek, disappearing for a few moments, and then surely returning again, and performing most of their flight within sight of me, as if they knew I appreciated and absorbed their vitality, spirituality, faithfulness, and the rapid, vanishing, delicate lines of moving yet quiet electricity they draw for me across the spread of the grass the trees, and the blue sky, while the brook babbles, babbles, and the shadows of the boughs dapple in the sunshine around me, and the cool west-by-nor-west wind faintly sows the thick bushes and tree tops. Among the objects of beauty and interest, now beginning to appear quite plentifully in this secluded spot, I notice the hummingbird, the dragonfly with its wings of slate-colored gauze and many varieties of beautiful and plain butterflies idly flapping among the plants and wild posies the mullion has shot up out of its nest of broad leaves to a tall stalk towering sometimes five or six feet high now studded with the knobs of golden blossoms the milkweed i see a great gorgeous creature of gamboge and black lightning on one as i write is in flower with its delicate red fringe, and there are profuse clusters of feathery blossom waving in the wind on taper stems. I see lots of these, and much else in every direction, as I saunter or sit. For the last half-hour a bird has persistently kept up a simple, sweet, melodious song from the bushes. I have a positive conviction that some of these birds sing, and others fly and flirt about here for my special benefit death of william cullen bryant new york city came from west philadelphia june thirteen in the two p m train to jersey city and so across to my friends mr and mrs j h j and their large house large family and large hearts amid which i feel at home at peace away up on Fifth Avenue, near 86th Street, quiet, breezy, overlooking the dense, woody fridge of the park. Plenty of space and sky, birds chirping, and air comparatively fresh and odorless. Two hours before starting saw the announcement of William Cullen Bryant's funeral, and felt a strong desire to attend. I had known Mr. Bryant over thirty years, and he had been markedly kind to me. Off and on, all along that time for years as they passed we met and chatted together i thought him very sociable in his way and a man to become attached to we were both walkers and when i worked in brooklyn he several times came over middle of the afternoon and we took rambles miles long till dark out towards bedford or flatbush in company on these occasions he gave me clear accounts of scenes in europe the cities looks architecture art especially italy where he had traveled a good deal june fourteen the funeral and so the good stainless noble old citizen and poet lies in the closed coffin there and this is his funeral a solemn impressive simple scene to spirit and senses the remarkable gathering of gray heads celebrities the finely rendered anthem and other music the church, dim even now at approaching noon, in its light from the mellow stained windows, the pronounced eulogy on the bard who loved nature so fondly, and sung so well her shows and seasons, ending with these appropriate well-known lines. I gazed upon the glorious sky, and the green mountains round, and thought that when I came to lie at rest within the ground, for pleasant that in flowery June, when brooks send up a joyous tune, and groves a cheerful sound, the sexton's hand, my grave to mark, the rich green mountain's turf should break. End of section 10 Reading by Belinda Brown of Indianapolis, Indiana